these little places that are are so special um it's if they're diametrically opposed to the gated uh, the gated walls and and ps there's some really great gated wall golf courses um this is not a shot at at you know some of the great courses and and don't i don't want anybody to read into who i was talking about i wasn't talking about any particular course when i wrote that um because you could probably assume but um it's really just so much more unique and fun and, and real to find some of these off the run places. And that's what, you know, chasing the golf week list and getting to, you know, 43 States was about. Um, I got to places like Ray, North Dakota uh, to play the links that, you know, people don't go to, but you know what, it's still kind of cool. So I guess that's what I was thinking about then. Um, yeah. and, and I guess I'm thinking about that. There are some courses that are in the top hundred lists that, that don't belong. Um, they're really not that good. And they're there for reasons that have got nothing to do with how great the golf course is. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> it's a good topic for this day, Greg. Yeah, maybe. Let's jump, let's jump on that. Hey, everyone. Tom Coyne here welcoming you back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. And this episode recorded live on the Broken Tea Society. More about that in a moment, but first, just want to remind you that here at the Golfer's Journal, we're always excited to share with you exclusive opportunities from Titleist, but to be part of them, you have to join Team Titleist. Now, Team Titleist gives you the opportunity to do prototype testing, invitations to special events, limited edition gear from Titleist, and much, much more. So make sure to sign up and join us on Team Titleist at Titleist.com slash Team Titleist, one word. Team Titleist, also with thanks to Titleist and Link Soul and Footjoy and Oakley and Links and Kings and Scotty Cameron as well, the brands from the book who support what we do here at the Golfer's Journal. Now on to today's, well, let's call it groundbreaking, groundbreaking podcast recorded live in front of an audience on the Broken Tea Society. Well, it's sort of groundbreaking. If you listen to our last podcast, we were also live on the BTS, but this was our first time inviting in a guest and trying out our interview format um you know live on the broken tea society server so thanks to everyone who showed up and lent their ear um if you don't know what broken tea society is that podcast i'm referring to you the one before this one that would be a good one for you to dig into make sure you check it out it's where all the staff of the golfers journal we jumped on and discussed our new virtual hangout our clubhouse in the clouds for all golfers journal subscribers or, of course, as we like to refer to ourselves, Broken Tea Society members. Um, it's been blowing up. It's just been a blast. It's been great to see all the activity there and the conversations, the get-togethers, the hangouts that are happening, uh, both spontaneous, some planned on our calendar as well that you can check out. So get on in there, get on there, enjoy yourselves. It's free. It's free to all subscribers. Just more of the value you get with your Golfer's Journal subscription and hey, if you've been uh, feeling some putter cover envy lately, I would understand why, because the new Golfer's Journal putter covers from Lynx and Kings, they've been all over my social media feed, uh, checking out. It's been great to see people posting them. They are absolutely stunning, uh, and they're on my putter now as well. So uh, get yours. All you have to do is upgrade to a premium subscription. Do it, and we'll send you one out today. It's probably, honestly, the cover's probably worth more than the cost of upgrading to premium, so... Uh, you know, another triumph for our subscribers uh, of the Golfer's Journal. Speaking of the Broken Tea Society server, someone you can interact with there, well, myself, Travis, Casey, Brendan, anyone uh, uh, from 
the Golfer's Journal masthead. You know, we're on there having a good time. But you can also hang out and speak with Greg Ohlendorf. Or as we're calling him today, Mr. Top 100. Now, Greg wrote a wonderful story for us in Golfer's Journal 17 about golf in Durness, way up in yonder, in a yonder corner of Scotland. But his golf life has taken him to many, many, many other places. So we wanted to get him on the podcast, get him on to the Broken Tea Society, uh, and give him a chance to discuss a very unusual golf life. He's played just about all the top 100 lists, it seems, golf in all 50 states, golf here, there, and everywhere. Uh, We'll let Greg describe his adventures for you. But he's a great guy, and what I love what he has to share here, he isn't some heir to some fortune jetting around in his own plane from course to course with doors thrown wide open to him. That's sort of how I imagine someone who's able to play this many courses in these, you know, in this many places. No, he, he really seems like a regular guy uh, who, with his wife as part of his team, you know, they plan their vacations and expendable income around chasing down what seems like a pretty crazy hobby, a pretty crazy pastime. Or for some of us, maybe it's not so crazy at all. So enjoy the listen. You be the judge for yourself. Now, Greg, um, it's awesome to be speaking with you. Uh, Not only having uh, really enjoyed uh, your story, The Road to Durness, I won't try to say it in the Scots Gaelic uh, that we put (laughs) into the book, in number 17, but... The last time I spoke with you, it was, honestly, I never thought I'd run into you again. Uh, the fact that I ran into you where I did uh, was pretty wild. And I felt like when we left each other, we were on this, um, it was one of those like, goodbye, I don't know if you're going to make it, and I hope you do, <laughs> but um, we're each going our separate ways. And, 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 you know, long may we last, but tell folks, where were we when we, uh, when we last spoke? Well, well, Tom and I were stumbling across the island of uh, Benbecula, uh, chasing a little course called Askernish, which I'm sure most of our listeners have, have heard of. Um, and it was one of those, uh, the, the morning after we had both played, and we were so fogged in. And Tom, I think you were trying to get to a qualifier and I was trying to get to a bank board meeting and neither one of us were sure we were going to ever get off the island of Benbecula. So um, that was a crazy, that was a crazy morning. It was. Now, Benbecula Airport, not, this is no JFK. So there's, you know, one flight a day in and out uh, or maybe, maybe two, but we were interested in, I guess, the Glasgow flight or, or whatever, which so, so there's maybe like eight people there trying to get off the island that day. And yeah, I had to get to, um, you know, I was doing a course called Scotland. I was ending the trip at Askernish, which hopefully our subscribers know from, I think, number one or number two. Great story in there by DJ Pahowski about the lost Tom Morris links of Askernish. Um, It's certainly become a lot more discovered um, (laughs) since we were there. Uh, But, well, one, to meet someone else making the same pilgrimage. And I saw you the day before the golf course. Um, right. with your wife. Yeah. Your wife would, we'll, we'll talk about more of that later. Your, 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 your wife accompanying you on these journeys as well, I think is, is wonderful. Um, and quite amazing really all the way to Askernish, but we're in this airport that they're telling us, um, they're fogged in and we weren't 
it wasn't a matter it was it was sort of like no one could tell us if the plane was coming or not it was sort of like waiting for um you know some sort of ship that that might be coming in today or maybe next week it was very unspecific nobody seemed terribly worried about it um and it was just one of those things that happened when he lived on the outer hebrides in scotland uh which are these sort of far-flung isles off the western northwestern coast uh some days you know you just the, the planes couldn't land and the plane never came so everyone else was just like ah okay we're going home but you and i were in a tough spot yeah you had to get um you had work to return to i, I did I, I had built up you know i'd been in ireland or sorry in scotland for two months preparing looking for the secret to golf getting ready and trying to play uh get ready to play in a qualifier for the open championship that was taking place the um the day after next so i had to get back i missed i was already missed my practice round by not getting out that day and they and i said well is the plane going to get out tomorrow and they're like well we don't know and and, and again no one seemed terribly worried about it so i think you have to have a special sort of uh uh, perspective and mindset to live on those islands, but also to maybe golf the, the, the way that we were golfing. You just got to kind of roll with it. And I try to generally roll with it, but that was one day I couldn't roll with it and you couldn't either. No, it's, um, it's crazy. And, and I guess what the, the moral of the story is don't plan Askernish as the day before the day you're going to leave. Um, <laughs> I've, I've planned a lot of crazy trips and, and have relied on a lot of things to go right. And uh, in, in all of my travels, I got rained off of two golf courses, actually rained off of one and one where my plane didn't leave after it pulled off the gate, it pulled back in, but I never missed another round doing all the, all the crazy things I've done. So, um, and I got back, we ended up taking a boat off, uh, a boat to Oban and a train from Oban to Glasgow and three hours of sleep and the next morning on a plane. So I, I got back from my meeting. So, you know, you just got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. It was funny. We were sitting there strategizing, like, what, "All right, what are you going to do? What, what's your plan? What, what's next? What's, what's next? What's, what, what are you doing?" Um, and we we had immediately had that sort of survivor's life draft bond uh, there. Uh, the two Americans stuck on the island, having to get off. So, Greg, it's great to speak to you again. We made it. Yeah, we're here. We did, we're, Tom. We've, we did it. You survived. And how strange to be now reunited by by the Golfers Journal. It's well, it's not that strange. It's just it's awesome. Um, now, if folks aren't familiar well hopefully folks are familiar with the the wonderful piece you wrote for us about going up to Durness uh in 17 which is another far-flung scottish golf course um but there's a lot going on in your golf resume greg tell us we've got you here as mr top 100 um that's why we wanted to have you on and talk about your unusual golf life maybe compare some notes uh i've gotten around a little bit myself but you sort of put me to shame um Tell us about some of these golf, your, your golf quests and lists that you've been able to knock off. I, I, it's, been, um, it's been a crazy adventure and, and certainly one that nobody ever thought or I never thought you know, would come to completion. But um, I, I think if, if, if the statistics are correct, I've played the golf magazine uh, top 100 world lists all the way from 2005 to 2013. I've played the golf week magazine top 100 modern and top 100 classic lists from 2010 um i was the 48th person to do the first thing i was the third we believe to do the second um i've checked the thousand courses off and um tom i i did the 50 states uh as well so we've been some of those same crazy places uh, that i've read in your book um and i think if you throw those four things together 
um, I think I'm the second person to have accomplished those things. Now, there are some guys that have done some crazy top 100 things like played every top 100 golf course that's ever been on the golf magazine list, um, which is 300 and some odd. That's that's out there. Um, you know, there's a guy that played uh, the, the 100 uh, world in 100 consecutive days, Bob McCoy. That's out there. Um, but um, my combination is, is somewhat unique because of the Golf Week list, um, which I think took me to 43 different states just to do the 200 from the same year in Golf Week. Um, so that's just a little bit more of a far-flung adventure, which, again, you just completed. So you know what it's like to, to get to all the crazy states. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. So that's sort of our, our symbiotic relationship is we, we've, done, we've done a lot of the same, same things. Yeah, Greg, so if there is one other person – who's who do you know who that is? well i'm sure you know who. I, I i do um uh, paul radowski who's a, a golf magazine uh, champion he's finished them all um he's one of the guys that's played i think every course that's been on the golf magazine list on top of every other course that's on and, and any list of, of literally every kind um and i he's a good friend from down at pinehurst he spends part of the year up in brookline and um i told him what i was doing and he hadn't decided to focus on finishing a golf week, hundred and hundred. And so of course he did it. And of course he finished it before I got to my last course. So I, I want to take a little credit for giving him the idea, but I have to give him more credit for actually doing it first. And, and he's done a lot of other crazy stuff too. So there's just a, there's a bunch of crazy people out there. So I'm not the craziest. And Paul, uh, who my wife knows well, uh, always makes me look completely sane. You need somebody when you're doing this. You need somebody else that's, that's further afield, so that yeah. you can say, "Hey, I'm I'm just kind of I'm kind of normal in comparison." Excellent point. I hope I've I've heard I've been told that I've played that role for some people um, when it <laughs> yeah, comes sure to you negotiating golf trips or when saying I want to go to Ireland for two weeks instead of one week and. You can reference uh, this awful husband and father in Philadelphia. So, yeah, someone's got to set the crazy bar a little bit higher. So you've set it pretty high. I've run into Paul in my travels as well. I think uh, I met him at Ballyneal one time. Very nice, very nice guy. And, um, yeah, just extraordinary. What, what both of you have done is wild. Take me to the moment when you decide, like, I'm going to chase these lists. You know, I don't – it's certainly not early because, you know, I, I'm not a – you know, Fortune 50 CEO that's got a connection in every city in the country kind of thing. So you don't think you can do it. I mean, it's, it's really, it's beyond any kind of imagination. And especially when I started out doing the Golf Week 200, and I knew that there was one guy at the time that had done that. I thought that's pretty, pretty tough. Um, and then you start building the crazy Google Maps and putting pins on them and, and whatever. And I, I, when I read, you know, your stuff about, you know, how you planned your trip and, and you can't double back, you know, you, you can't go to an area, play three of the four courses you need to fly back to play the fourth some other day. I mean, you, so when you decide we're going to New England, what do we need to play in New England? And maybe we go there twice, but we're not going there four times. So it really becomes a crazy organizational thing. Um, yeah. And that means then you've got to also find the crazy connections that you need because it's not like calling, you know, the pro shop and just making the nine o'clock tea time. That doesn't work uh, for a lot of these courses. And so you have to not only say I'm going to focus on a particular spot, but I also have to figure out how to make the connections I need when I go there. We used to do a thing called the next five and it, the next five wasn't Augusta, Cypress, Pine Valley, Marion and Oakmont. It wasn't that. But it was like, what are the next five we think we're going to take a shot at that maybe we don't have the connections for? And as you well know, the game is so unbelievable. The minute you start thinking about those five, 
and you start maybe throwing them into conversation once in a while, suddenly somebody's got a connection for you that you right. never thought would come up, you know? And so it's just a matter of, of kind of plotting it all out. And we would plan trips around it. You, you know, you mentioned my wife, Melissa, um, I call her the greatest golf wife in the game. Cause you know, she's not only let me do this, oh, but I'm she take came it along. To there. Allison is going to, yeah, I know. I know. We'll and Allison, I, I think I, I think I dropped you a note once to say I, I, Allison, Melissa can't meet, right. That's just a bad <laughs> idea. But, um, but in all seriousness, I mean, you know, it, it takes, you know, planning around vacations, planning around business trips, planning around, you know, I got two days here. Can I get in four courses? Because there's so many of them. It, it yeah. just takes a lot of, it takes a lot of planning. It does take a lot of planning. So when, and it's interesting that you're saying we, so Melissa is very much your partner in this, I imagine. Is that the 100%. we? Yeah, it's, it's so when I just finished, um, I just finished my book called Global Golf Travels and, um, and it's, it's the second chapter is, is entitled, it's all Melissa's fault and she knows it because um, when I got out of college, I was going to try to play in college and then realized I couldn't pass my classes and play golf at the same time. So I stopped playing for a couple of years and we got out and, and we were not very wealthy. And so I didn't play much, but a little nine hole competitive league in my hometown. And she says, after about three years of marriage, we need to go on vacation. And I said, okay, don't know if we have enough money to do that. And she said, well, we're going to spend three days in Wisconsin. And so it was a night in Milwaukee, a night in Cedarburg, a little bed and breakfast, and then a night at this place called the American Club. Well, it turns out that she had gone to Ozaki High School, which was in Kohler's Conference. And so she had seen the transformation of the dormitory up there into a five-diamond hotel. And she said, oh, by the way, I'll let you play the, the new Pete Dye course there, too. That was a mm, mistake. I bet. And the next year, she said, let's go to see... Uh, let's go to down to Hilton Head, uh, where the Candy Stripe Lighthouse is that they play that tournament at. Another die course. Okay, that's two. And you know, the next year it was off somewhere else, and then off somewhere else, and then the Pinehurst. And well, you can kind of you know where it goes from there. So you had an enabler. Interesting. I did. She is completely my enabler. Completely. Wow. Okay. So a different arrangement here at the Coin Household. Um, not so much uh, Allison coming up with these ideas at. At all, really. You brought up the uh, the coming out of school and not having, um, you know, being on a budget. So I'm interested in, you know, the cost of doing all this. Um, doing some of it myself, knowing that it is, it's not cheap. Um, it's great when you can have friends and it's great when you can um, lean on the generosity of hosts, etc. Um, but, and I don't want to... You didn't have to dig into your financials, but um, is this, you know, what does this, uh, what's this run you living this lifestyle? I, I, it's just, this is something you just don't add up, um, you know, and it, <laughs> right. it just don't, right? And it, it took, you know, it took, um, you know, a solid 20 years. I mean, it was a, it was, it's a long adventure. So you're not, you know, if you're doing it overnight, it's, it's probably a different matter. Um, and then you try to be a good host too, because so many people were wonderful to host on one end. And, you know, I try to, you know, try to remember that and try to be a very good host back at my clubs and, you know, be equally helpful on the other side. So, you know, you, you don't pay for it one place, you pay for it someplace else. But, um, I, I really have tried not to focus on that at all. I think that would be a, I think that would be a bad mistake. Yeah, you're right. There's no way to add it all up. Um, and you do get people, you know, ask, you know, when, and I did Pape Tiger, of course, you know, what does that all cost? And um, right, you just hope to come out of it with, uh, at some point, being able to pay off your credit card, your credit card, and, and, you, and you move on. 
Greg, so there's a passage from uh, the Donetsk piece that I want to read and share. Uh, if you don't mind me reading your work. I'd be honored. All right, cool. Because I think this sort of sums up um, what, how it, it's honestly, it sums up sort of how I think about these golf travels and experiences um, and sort of spearheaded some of my own adventures. I think it's very well said. So um, this is Greg Ollendorf in uh, his Durness piece in Golfer's Journal 17. How many times have you dreamed of playing a top ranked course? The one you've watched on television dozens of times. It looks so flawless with manicured fairways and perfectly raked bunkers, all in a radiant shade of green. You even may have played it thousands of times on your favorite gaming console. Then the day comes when you get the invitation of a lifetime and your tea time is secured. Upon arrival, the valet takes your clubs and your car, which may come back cleaner than when you handed over the keys, welcomes you to the course, and then parades you to the opulent locker room with magnificent wooden lockers. They may even polish your shoes before you head out to play. Lunch will likely be fantastic. The range will have dozens of new titleists stacked in a neat pyramid with an attentive caddy who cleans your clubs after each practice swing. The next four to five hours will fly by and you'll convince yourself that the golf was really good. After the round, you make sure to buy a logo shirt. The following Saturday morning, you'll proudly show that the new polo, you'll proudly show that new polo off at your regular course. The logo bingo guy in your group will ask, where'd you get the shirt? You'll reply, I played there last Wednesday in a corporate outing. Your buddy will probe, how was it? It was really good, you'll answer. Unfortunately, that reply comes all too often. Club X was really good. But is that good enough? Does really good get your blood flowing? I don't think so. But really special, unique, different, or in this case, adventurous, certainly does. Bravo, Greg. Very well said. I love that distinction between what we think of as great golf courses or highly ranked golf courses and what you're talking about here is special golf courses. And I think especially coming from someone who's played, playing the top 100, you play a lot of those places where they take your car and comes back cleaner than when you gave it to them, right? And, um, what, so tell us about what that really means. What a special, unique, different meaning. What are some of those places that you found that have done that for you? I I think special and unique is, is, is so obvious when you get there. Um, the Durness piece, uh, really comes from a a friend of mine who, who actually is a photographer for the open championship and he's got a B and B and doorknock and, um, I go to Dornock or try to get there every year, except for these last couple. And um, he said, you got to go to Dunas. And I'm like, what's a Dunas? And he said, it's a nine holder. It's 75 miles from here. And I said, which direction? North, northwest. I said, there's nothing northwest to Dornock. You know, I mean, once we get past Baroa, right, is there anything, any, any more, anything up there? Well, there is. And these three local guys built this little golf course because there wasn't a golf course near it. But what I didn't know is when I left and drove the first 20 or so miles and the road forks burrows to the right and the road to Donassus to the left. I found out that the last 50 some miles was a one lane road and it was trafficked by not only cars, but also lorries or big semis that were flying at you. Like it was a regular, you know, hot motorway. 
and you sit there and say, we may die on the way to Durnas. Forget the fact we don't even know where we're going. And then you get there and it's this little rolling piece of property built by these three guys with a little clubhouse and a, a little net that you could hit balls into, I guess, in theory, and two tee boxes. And it's windswept and the holes are interesting. And you just literally giggle your way around it because it's so remote. It's so amazing. Um, if I lived in Durness, I'd play it all the time. And it's just so different than than a lot of the things that we deem as great. Um, Askernish, Tom, you know, um, yeah. another one of those places. When we found it back in that day, you know, back those how many years ago, it, it was so raw and, and just so exposed and so natural. Um, it reminds me of when I played Yeamans Hall back in the day, you know, before they'd done any, you know, work and and on it, and it was so natural. Um, those places are special, and yeah. you know, they don't. You don't have to have the agronomy budget that's you know two million dollars with, you know, with all the latest uh, equipment from the major manufacturers and so on. It just doesn't require that. But the golf can still be can be wonderful and it can be interesting and it, it can be so different and unique and. I always loved playing someplace I'd never played before, irrespective of if it would be wonderful, just because it was new. I was always, I guess I was chasing lists from a little kid on, you know, in high school, I wanted to race around to see all the courses in the area that maybe we'd end up playing a tournament at just because. But these little places that are are so special, um, it's, they're diametrically opposed to the gated uh, the gated walls. And, and P.S., there's some really great gated wall golf courses. Um, this is not a shot at, at, you know, some of the great courses and, and don't I don't want anybody to read into who I was talking about. I wasn't talking about any particular course when I wrote that, because um, you could probably assume. But um, it's really just so much more unique and fun and, and real to find some of these off the run places. And that's what you know, chasing the golf week list and getting to you know forty three states was about. Um, I got to places like Ray, North Dakota, uh, to play the links that you know people don't go to. But you know what? It's still kind of cool. So. I guess that's what I was thinking about then. Um, yeah. and, and I guess I'm thinking about that there are some courses that are in the top 100 lists that, that don't belong. Um, they're really not that good. And they're there for reasons that have got nothing to do with how great the golf course is. But that's another topic for another day. No, it's a good topic for this day, Greg. Yeah, maybe. Let's jump, let's jump on that. Tell me, um, you don't have to name the courses specifically, but as know. someone who's been through the list um do you find sometimes right i have the same experience i'll go to a golf course i'll be blown away by it it will be a place no one's heard of um and and then i'll go to a a course that's on on many a list and you'll feel like okay it was it was it was fancy the pro shop was great you know and i got the logo what are the, so when you talk about there are some reasons that courses do end up on those lists versus uh, courses that don't. Uh, what are you alluding to? Do you think? Oh, there's a there's a few things. I uh, I did a piece with Rand Morris set in Golf Club Atlas. He did a featured interview and and he asked me the same question and and I it was probably the first time I answered it out loud except to my buddy uh, Ben Class who went with me on my crazy trips to the far reaches of the earth. But uh, we would talk about it. Uh, we had this conversation uh, trolling down a road in New Zealand and. You know, I mean, there's some things that uh, that get you there. Um, courses by water have an advantage. Courses uh, mm-hmm. set into the picturesque mountains have an advantage. Uh, courses by uh, the biggest name, Old Dead Guy Architects, have an advantage. And a lot of those are really good, by the way. I'm a big Old Dead Guy Architect fan. Mm-hmm. Um, courses where uh, tour pros grew up on um, can can get a lot of a lot of hype. 
Um, you know, there's just, there's some things that, uh, you know, courses that are on TV, you know, uh, that you see every year, uh, get a lot of hype. Sure. So sometimes you have to split away, you know, major championship courses. Some are absolutely unbelievable. Some maybe not so much. Right. But, um, you have to strip that away. And that's, that's where I go back to my theory of it's the first ball in the first tee and the last ball out of the cup on 18 and the rest of the trappings and the rest of the stuff doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. You got to, you got to get what's what the grass is like and the, and the property and the, you know, the intent and, and, you know, and all those kind of things that really matter to me. Um, and some just get, some just get benefits from things that really don't have anything to do with how good the golf course is um, right or wrong. It, it's just the nature of the beast. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, like you said, the, the name architects being on television, um, and you know, getting PGA Tours events, getting also being aggressive—not aggressive, but being uh, open to allowing a lot of raiders to to play the course sometimes helps. Yeah, I, I think places jump up into the '80s and '90s that weren't there before when they go on a camp, camp campaign to invite every raider in the country up. Yeah, or how hard it is to get on. You know, sometimes there's an inverse relationship to you know if you can't get on and then the raiding community shows up. Um, you know, and they got on, well, it has to be great, right? Because I, it took me eight years to get on. So, you know, by definition, it's great. I think that's huge, actually. <laughs> the, uh, this, this relationship between the tougher it is to get on, the mutt, the better it must be, right? Must be, right. Um, so, which is, yeah, interesting, but obviously, obviously not the case. Um, hardest place for you to get on um, in all your... And all your travels, America or, other, or otherwise. The hardest place to get on yeah. by a factor of 1,000 is the place that they play that really cool music in, in, the, in the spring. <laughs> uh, and they've got all those great flowers. And it's somewhere in Georgia, I, I think. Uh, but literally, Augusta National is 1,000 times harder to get on than the next hardest golf course, uh, period, end of sentence. It's, nothing is like it as far as, as trying to play. It was my last. It was absolutely my last. And I thought, well, I, my working title of my book uh, was 199 bad when I when I figured that's the furthest I was ever going to get. So, right. um, you know, it's it's by far the hardest outside of the country. Um, you know, um, there's some tough ones. Um, Shanken Bay in China is 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 pretty difficult. Uh, Morfontaine in France is not impossible, but it's not easy either. Um, you know, some go from from very easy to very difficult. Uh, Lock Loman back in the day was not difficult at all. Lock Loman today is way harder. Um, so you know, times change. Sometimes people you know will allow outside play or you know even unescorted play, and some clubs just entirely change. I mean, going to play Wentworth today is is extremely difficult compared to what it would have been you know 15 years ago. So um, it changes, and that's that's the difficulty as you're working on a list is. You know, uh, we had another saying that was hit while the iron's hot. If we thought we had an opportunity, I mean, it was time to get in the plane and go because that opportunity could dry up just as fast as it was available. So, um, you know, if you really want to do this, uh, you know, the grass can't grow under your feet or say, well, I'll get there in a few years. Not yeah. if somebody's made open the door. And Tom, you well know, <laughs> you take those you take those opportunities and you go. And yeah, and being married to Melissa helps because you. Can, I love how you keep talking about we. Um, like we got to do this. Does she play? Does she come walking with you? Like, what's her? Does she? Can she caddy? Like, what is? What's Melissa do while you're off playing 
um, Wentworth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so Melissa's gig is um, she plays about once or twice a year, if if that. Um, a, she loves when you get on Augusta, of course, that's when she yeah, gets close she, to clubs yeah, that's, right. She pulls them off then. But um, no, she um, she'll have the tournament on uh, on the weekend before I'll, I will. Um, so she loves the game. We'll go to tournaments without two questions of thought. Loves Pinehurst for all of it, uh, all of what it is, which is golf and some more golf. Um, loves to travel. Um, loves to take pictures. In my book, um, a good half the photos don't exist if she's not along taking pictures. Um, but she'll walk. Uh, she'll walk with me often. Um, she's walked Dornock where where we play a lot, and um, I'll lose her for two or three holes because she's literally off taking unbelievable photos of of that incredibly picturesque golf course. And then, you know, a playing partner, like, where'd your wife go? She'll be back. Don't worry. You know, but she's down on the beach or she's someplace else. And then she wanders back up and then joins us uh, for the walk on the way in. So um, yeah, she's, she's, she's pretty special when it comes to all that stuff. That's pretty funny. Where's your wife? What, you, what wife? Um, <laughs> she, she'll yeah, be she, back. Don't worry. She's fine. Don't worry. She fell in a dune or something. Yeah, um, she's fine. No, she's fine. She's good. Um, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Have you developed like in taking off these courses, is there a particular strategy you could share with some of our listeners who might want to follow in your footsteps who, or, or not play, you know, hundreds and hundreds of golf courses, but um, maybe just have a few dream courses where they're like, man, I just, I, I want to play Oakma. I don't know how to play. I'll never get there. I want to play Cypress. I want to, that would be my dream. Um, what are some strategies that have worked for you over the years? Well, I, I think you always have to pay attention. Um, you know, uh, in the piece that you read, Tom, I, I used the term logo bingo, and we've talked about that forever. You need yeah. to know all the logos, right? So if you're walking through, you're playing with a buddy at a, at a club, and you see somebody's shirt, and it's the flag from LA Country Club, it's not a bad idea to say hi to that guy. I mean, it's not like you're walking up to say, hey, I see you've got an LA shirt on. First of all, you remember. Second of all, can I play with you at you know Saturday at ten o'clock? Yeah, it's that not, comes it's later. Like, that comes later, right? <laughs> right? That's after the that's after the third of his favorite scotch. I mean, you got right. you got to work the project. But um, you know, but it's amazing. You strike up a conversation with a guy off of a logo on a shirt, and you know, my oh my my nephew plays there, or my cousin plays, or my brother plays there, or whatever the case may be. And you don't sit there and say, well, I'd like to play there. But, you know, he'll ask why you asked. And then you get into this crazy conversation of, of what you're trying to do. And, you know, and it doesn't have to be the whole hundred or the whole 200. It doesn't have to be that. Um, you know, some people are trying to play, you know, all the U.S. Open courses or all of this or all. There's so many different ways. But the yeah. nice thing about a list is it's that, you know, it's this is a goal setting, uh, you know, activity. And, you know, it's like business. I mean, this is making connections and, and making you know, relationships and, and solving problems and riddles and organization and planning. It's the same thing you do in, in work, you know, in a lot of ways. So it's the same skill set. It's the same elevator speech. And it's just, it's utterly amazing by just paying attention how many opportunities pop up. And then there are so many wonderful people that would do nothing more than love showing off their course. Yeah. And you see them with a logo shirt on and they invite you before you even have thought about asking them and those are special moments right and you're like i've said to guys please don't i know what you're going to say oh no i'd love to have i'd love to have host you and you, you literally are almost telling him don't say that because i'm gonna call right if yeah it's on no, the list, i'm gonna call and yet they're like yeah um you know give me a holler next april in may we're, we're on the t um 100 
And I, you reach out to them in April and they're like, I met you at so-and-so. I absolutely can't have it. You want to bring a buddy and you're on the tee. Golfers are amazing. And that's what I found out. I knew it, but that's what I found out as I traveled around is, is everybody was trying to be helpful. And um, yeah. you didn't have, to, didn't have to ask as often as you thought. People are good like that, especially in golf. You're right. Um, how many people did that for me as well and didn't know, you know, and it didn't had, had no good reason for doing so um, no. other than sort of enjoying sharing their golf course or enjoying playing golf with someone who's as passionate and crazy about the game as they are. Um, so, yeah, be passionate. Ask questions. It's interesting. It's sort of like I found. I, like you say, it, it is whether you're into like networking or not, it does that skill set. If, if you can get into that or at least put that hat on for a little while in those situations. Um, it can almost be like kind of fun. Like it was part of the challenge in doing a course called America was like, all right, can I get on such and such? And that challenge right. itself was sometimes more fun than the golf course. Like, it, you know, not always. The golf was always usually great. Um, but sometimes it was the relationships that I made trying to get on the golf course, the people I met, um, the back and forth, the excitement of finally tracking someone down who gave me a firm tee time, the excitement around getting the tee time sometimes was better than the shot that I hit at that tee time, you know, um, onto that whatever golf course that might be. And um, so it's almost like a sort of another pastime around the pastime. It, Tom, that's so true. I mean, when we, when I got finally to the, you know, uh, turning to the world list and, 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 Radowski asked me, he said, you can do the world list. And I said, are you crazy? I've never been to South Africa, Far East Asia, New Zealand, Australia, you know, yeah. continental Europe to play. I've never been to any of those places. And he said, well, you didn't have to do it all in the same day. You know, he said, you've got to start. How many are you at? You know, how many have you done? And I said, I've done, I, so I counted. I was at 70. And he said, well, that's a pretty good start. He said, 70? You know, you know just chip away. That's pretty good, dude. You know, that was pretty good. So I started chipping <laughs> away. But, but when you're going to say seven. No, I was at 70 at that time because I'd done the, the golf week, a lot of the golf week stuff. Right. And um, when we did the Australia-New Zealand trip, it took four months to lay out a trip. And, no, and everybody said, you can't do Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, and King Island on the same trip. I, I, first of all, don't ever uh, – another piece of advice is don't listen to the naysayers that say you can't do it. I had friends in, in, in Australia that said, Greg, you cannot do that in one trip in 17 days. I can. I, I just It'll take me a little time to puzzle it together, but I can. And we pulled it off. And then we did – um, Japan, South Korea, China, Vietnam, and Thailand in 17 days, five countries, seven, I think 13 flights, 13 or 14 golf courses. And it went off without a hitch, you know, so it is possible. Now that trip took seven months to plan because the, the courses had to be in the order that I needed them. We were flying in one direction. We started in South Korea. We ended up in Bangkok, but we, we had to go the same direction. We couldn't double back. I right. couldn't miss one. I wasn't going back to play Tokyo if I missed it the first time. So it took seven months before we finally had uh, the time. And, and Tokyo was under under the knife. They were redoing uh, part of the double green thing. And um, they didn't necessarily want somebody to see it. And, and I finally got connected with the captain um, who was in Paris when I messaged him. And he gave us the clear to play. And that happened like three months before we left. Um, or the Sheesh. whole trip could have blown could have blown up. But again, what? How cool is that, that? That some guy took an interest in us and helped us get it done. It's really cool. Again, it's some of the best part of, of being this sort of um, this golf. This these you know being a wandering golfer is is certainly those great 
coincidences or happy accidents that that push you forward. Um, Seventy. I mean, that's yeah. And 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 going in that, like when you said you're going in one direction, you have to keep going. Um, I'm sure you've played in some pretty horrible conditions because of that. Like, and and I found, uh, you know, I played some great golf courses that were ultimately. I don't remember that well, or yeah, the day was sort of disappointing because <laughs> I had six hours to accomplish this round of golf, and I had to play in a monsoon, and I was the only person there, and I didn't see any of anything but my feet. Um, have you, did you experience some of those courses experiences? Did you want to go back and do it again? Of course, and there there's a handful that I would you know, or you played them uh, the day after they aerated. You know, and so you're playing a top right. five or top 10 course and it's aerated. And, and, you know, and I said, you know what, it was my chance to play it once. And if I don't get back, it's fine. We played Maidstone with the fog in and um, we saw the first three holes or four holes. And literally we didn't see no exaggeration. We didn't see 40 yards in front of us, the rest of the, the middle of the golf course until we kind of came back off the, off the marshland and whatever. And we'd sit, uh, my buddy would sit behind me and we'd hit the ball. You didn't look up because you couldn't see it anyway. And then we would, you know, okay, you first, was it right or left? And then the, the guy that hit it said, I, I felt left. And he said, so did I. And then we'd go look that direction. So oh, I, I, I think Maidstone is phenomenal. I just didn't see it. <laughs> it completely wasn't there that day. We have photos of nothing but clouds, you know. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's some of those. I played in some rain that, you know, is incomprehensible on how drowned through the best quality rain gear you can own, um, how drowned you can still get when it rains sideways the entire round. But not as many as you'd think. I mean, they're just, there's some, but we played on far more good days than bad days. The fates have been with you. Pretty um, good. Pretty good. Now, some of these trips, you know, you're talking about, it took us 17 days to do that, 17 days to do this. Um, I can very um, selfishly, <laughs> self-indulgently claim yeah. that this is my work. Um, uh, how do you get away with is is this where you spend your vacation on? Um, yeah. Are you in an air? Um, no, no, not at all. It's uh, <laughs> I'm a working guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a working guy. I I have uh, I have somebody that's, that cares if I show up. But um, yeah, it was vacation. It was vacation time. And and but the vacations, like I say, once once Melissa took uh, took the idea that we were going to Black Wolf Run, um, vacations have revolved a lot around golf. And and bless her for letting yeah. that happen. But uh, it's it's vacation time, and it's it's highly packed. It's a lot of rounds. Uh, we did a Long Island. Actually, we did two Long Island trips. We went uh, and played four rounds on a Wednesday, Thursday. I flew home Thursday night. On Friday, we did a trip through uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and picked up three. And then literally the next, I think, Tuesday night or something, we flew back to Long Island and we got 10 top hundreds in five days and yeah. flew home. So in that stretch of, what is that, 11 days or something like that, I knocked off 14, 17 list courses inside of 11 days, including two and a half days of work, you know? So that was, that was crazy, but you know, the times were open and they let us come. You got to go. It, it's just, you have to be ready, ready to do that. You were talking about logos. Um, and I like, really like that idea of the cozying up to a certain logo that might have passed you by at a, at a party or a, a function um favorite logo oh gosh hadn't been asked that one that's a, that's a good one tom 
I mean, you've seen a lot of them, and you've seen the logos to places we've never probably even heard of or have only seen on a list and wondered, like, So I'm going to wander wander into my office, and my proudest possession is the top 100 logo balls from the World 100 uh, from 2011. So I'm staring at uh, I'm staring at all the logos. You know, Marion's is 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 epic. Yeah. Obviously, um, National Golf Links is is fantastic. I mean, you can't you can't say anything about theirs. Um, you know, Wingfoot's is is so perfect for for you know what they are. I've always loved LA's. Um, I thought you know I thought that's a, a such a stately uh, simple simple kind of thing. Um, seeing some others here that uh, that are maybe any uh, bad maybe ones good. Oh, are there bad logos? That's that's not. Uh-uh, I can't do that one. I'm not. I'm gonna. Uh-huh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stay away from that one. Uh-huh. You know, there are some kind of modern ones that you say, "Yeah, I don't know." Um, the classic ones. I mean, the crests from the English clubs and the Scottish clubs. You know, are just so classic. Um, yeah, I, a logo says a lot about a golf course. I mean, I, I think. I think when somebody puts up a golf course, I I, I put a lot of effort into the logo because you know that's the thing you everybody sees and you bring home. So, um, but there's. There's so many good ones. Absolutely. That is the thing everyone brings home. Um, and sometimes like, but like you said, the British and Scott, like the Scottish courses, some of the Irish courses, um, you get that classic, you know, like the heraldry is pretty cool. Yeah, right? right. Right. But then also sometimes it can just look like scrambled eggs on your shirt. Like it doesn't, it does. People look at it like, like, what is that? So I it's know. been interesting to see like the, um, like Waterville changed its logo to the bunny and, um, St. Patrick's links is up in Rastapena's logo is killer. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, Seamus Golf did uh, the snake for the, the snake shamrock. Um, so it's interesting. Sort of, I, I think they're taking sort of lessons from the great merchandising that some clubs over in America yeah. do. By uh, it seems like you put an animal on a logo and you're and you're you're good to go. Um, it, it works. It works. You know, it totally works. How do you? So it's logo balls you collect. I mean, all these golf. That's a lot of balls to display. Like, how do you commemorate um, the ball? I I I made the shift. So I did balls in Ireland and Scotland. When I did America, I shifted to well, I got a logo ball for every U.S. Open venue, but then I shifted to pencils and like ball markers, um, just for the simplicity of convey like take carrying them around and taking them on airplanes everywhere. Um, yeah, you know, no 300 doubt. golf balls is, is heavy. So, uh, what do you collect and when you show off? I, I started, I started with, um, you know, like the fancy divot tools that had the ball marker in them or whatever. And then yeah, I realized how do you, how do you display them? You know, even there are display cases, but I mean, you can put up 12, well, that's, that's not going to get it done. Um, and then of course I'm a big believer in when a club has been kind enough to let you come visit. Um, I, I'm a big believer in supporting the, the pro, so I, I've got more logo shirts than than I care to think about. Very than, selfless than Melissa, of you. Than, than, than Melissa than Melissa cares to think about too. Yeah. Um, and so you know I've got a lot of those. And then the ball thing was just it wasn't super heavy, um, and it didn't take a lot of space. And and when you're packing for some of the long trips, and and literally you need every last square inch of space for 17 days with no washing machine in sight. Um, the balls I could always stuff into some corner. So I kind of sure. centered on those. And then I, I saw the, a guy, a buddy that had the hundred uh, rack and I, I'd never seen a hundred rack. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. And then I started looking around to see if I had the ones, all the ones that I needed. And of course I didn't. And then I had to go backtrack 
and I called some clubs and said, could you, you know, can I give you, send you 10 bucks? Can you send me a logo ball? Um, Cause I felt like I had to have them right. And, and the, the hundred balls with the, the world hundred in it is, you know, is sort of the perfect thing. Cause it doesn't take up too much space, but every time I see those logos, it brings back tremendous memories. It's pretty awesome. Do you switch them out as the list changes? No, I, I, the list that I started, I started with the 11 list um, and then back to the five list and all the way to the 13 list. Uh, but the 11 list was always my target list. And so I, I, those are the ones I put up. Tell me what is in all these golf experiences that you've had now, right? So, and how many times have you played Augusta since we established that was the toughest get? <laughs> one, one would be the answer. One, when one's all you needed. One's um, and you shopped, you shopped well. Small pro shop, may I add. Um, it's hard to go as nuts as you'd like to. I know, but the ANGC stuff versus the master stuff is, is pretty sweet. It is key. I kind of was like, again, these are, um, these are problems that are not problems. No, but they're not problems. The conundrum that I was having over, do I get the logo everybody knows? Or do I get the ANGC that precious few will know? But I'll know. Um, yeah, and I've only, I've only been there once. It's sort of obnoxious to even talk about being there. But you're Mr. Top 100, so you were there. Um, but you've done Augusta's. You've done the lists and the, and the top courses. What to you, after having experienced so many places, what's the ideal golf experience to you now? What are you looking for in a day of golf? The perfect experience now uh, is real simple. It's, it's going to play the places that, uh, that I pay dues at and, and loved irrespective of the lists with, uh, with a bunch of buddies and, um, you know, yucking it up on the course and yucking it up afterward. Um, that's really, really what it's come down to because people have said, you know, Greg, are you going to play, you know, the, the next three courses that popped up on the next list or whatever? You know, if I get there, I get there. Um, but I'm not going to go try to chase down some other crazy stuff or if a new course showed up in the middle of nowhere – that's halfway around the world. You know, I, I don't have the goal to go do that. Um, but I, I, uh, the courses I do play have, have all got a lot of one thing in common. I'm, I'm a, I love great greens. And, um, so I, I just want to go out with buddies and, and have a good time around uh, the places that I like to hang out. And the rest of this was a lot of fun. Um, having a lot of fun with, uh, doing stuff like this and, you know, and selling the book a little bit and, uh, and just telling some stories and hearing stories and people sharing stories. That's, that's really what's fun now. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And thanks for, you know, the writing you've done in the Golfer's Journal. We hope to see a lot more of it because you've got a lot of stories to tell. And what I love is, you know, you're a chaser. We're all chasers out here chasing, whether it's just a, <laughs> a round of golf this weekend with our buddies or the top 100 list. You know, golf is uh, full of people who are, uh, who are after something. Um, and it's been, it's been cool to, uh, to learn about what you're after. So thanks so much for taking the time and being a part of it, my friend. It's always fun to do this and, uh, you know, love you guys' work. And just uh, being a tiny little part of the Golfer's Journal has been uh, been a true thrill. So, uh, you know, not uh, not growing up and really knowing how to write, uh, I'm learning the hard way. But it's, it's so far so good. So it's, it's been fun. <laughs>